The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Happy Wednesday, boys and girls. This is Brutal Nation. The podcast series is dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I am your host, Obscenely White. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. That didn't even sound ghetto-y. That was like, yeah, that was rock and roll. I'm a rock and roller with Notorious P.I.G. next to me. Right across from me, that's just Squatch. Tammy Underwood. Ouch. Burn. Dude, why is your shirt not buttoned? Oh. Okay, fine. The illustrious, fantastical Tammy Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. All right, so you've been teasing me with this one here. I haven't looked it up. You gave me the name of Bible John. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that. Like, seriously, that is just so fucking peculiar that... Bizarre case. (laughs) Sweet. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, I don't even really have an introduction for this one, except for it's a whodunit. Nobody knows who he really is. There's an idea of who he might be, but nothing's been proven yet. Um, I'm going to, we're going to start with Patricia's story. Now, by 19, and I hate this. I'm going to hate half this episode. Because this one happened in 1968, this part. <laughs> that was pretty close to 69. Yeah, well, one does later. Wait till your mom checks out what I got her for Christmas. She'll be all about the 69. Meow. Mommy, I am so sorry. <laughs> but 25-year-old Patricia's life was full. She was married to a nice man. She was the mother of a growing toddler. And she was a nurse employed at a hospital located in Glasgow, Scotland. This is all in your favorite area. It is. The Nessie. That's right. She was out there in the lock with her husband and her child looking for Nessie. Yeah. Anywho. They all wore kilts. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so with all that, is it any wonder she was in need of a break? Uh, since her husband was a corporal in the Royal Air Force and stationed in England at the time, she and her young son were living with her parents temporarily, which happens. Yeah. Um. So Patricia's parents had always been happy to babysit their grandson whenever necessary. And so on February 22nd, which is my mom's birthday, by the way, Patricia asked them to look after her son so that she could go out that night. Um, On Thursday nights, the Borrowland Ballroom in town catered to the 25 and older crowd. And she knew some of her friends liked to go there. So she felt that a night out with her friends dancing and perhaps some innocent flirting was exactly what she needed. She wanted to get laid. Let's just Okay, I flirt with ev- I flirt with everybody. Here's the thing. Men, women, I don't care. Buffaloes. No, we know. Um, but you know, I usually draw the line at under 18, but I used to flirt with a 16-year-old cuz I got free coffee. Uh-huh. We call you a pedophile. No. Just saying. Cougar. She just wanted to get laid. Let's just call a spade a spade here. You don't know she wanted to cheat on her husband. She just wanted to go dancing. Yeah, bedroom dancing. 
I, I don't not falter. everybody likes to do the horizontal mambo like you do. I, I'm, not, I'm not even. I'm not faulting her for it. I'm just saying, yeah. man, this needs. And this is the '60s, free love. Yeah, I don't know if it was like that over there, but maybe free love in Scotland. She went and fa- found herself a bonny lad and looked under his guilt. They made love in the moonlight while looking for Nessie. <laughs> On the lock. On the lock. I'm just wondering, is it true that they don't wear underwear under their kilts? I've never looked under a Scotsman's kilt. That's what I heard, but. That was it. I, great, I have the hiccups again. Next time I find a Scotsman, I'm going to say, dude. There's one that walks drawers. around my town. Ask him. I'm let, afraid to. Are you letting your schlong hang out there, Scotsman <laughs> Bill? I have his hiccups really bad. And I, I sound like. I sound like a pterodactyl when I have my hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> Is someone reaching under your kilt and playing with your bagpipes? <laughs> I'm so embarrassed right now. Have you released your bagpipes? Hold on. Let me try. I do. I sound. And then there's times when I'm laughing so hard, I sound like a hyena. I go. I know. I said you laughing like that was just oh my fucking God. hilarious. You are so horrible. Anyways, since she didn't really stand out among the... Oh, uh, wait. Oh, she decided to wear one of her nicer outfits, and she painstakingly fixed up her hair and applied her makeup. And wore crotchless panties. When she was ready, Patricia walked out of the house to the dark streets of Glasgow. With her ball gag in hand. Would you stop it? Since Patricia didn't really stand out among the crowd that had gathered at the Barland, it's hard to recall what she was doing or who she had danced with. Except for the t-shirt that said... Stop it! Insert... This is your manhole. Right here. Knock it off! Sorry. It's not like she was in a wet t-shirt contest. Then she spanked her own ass with a flogger. On the lock. Boots with the spurs. (laughs) That's your mom. That's your mom and me, man. She puts her boots on. The Reeboks on. with the straps. Oh, yeah. Then she she goes, got low, 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 That's low. when she listens to me. That's a flow rider song. She goes, meow, Scotty. That's right. You're a bad kitty. Okay, go ahead. I just throw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> Anyways, um, there are some people who later remembered she had been at both the Borrowland and another dance hall called The Majestic. However, when pressed, they couldn't provide any precise details. What could be agreed on by all the witnesses who remembered her was that Patricia had left the Barland being escorted home by someone, although they did not know who that someone was. Now, on the morning of the 23rd, as the sun was rising, a local cabinet maker was on his way to work. Suddenly, he noticed there was something strange just lying on the side of the quiet road along his route. I'll tell you what it was. Nessie lost her purse. She was chilling, and she goes, oh, my God, my ID's in there and everything. I have to go back to the lock before I turn into a pumpkin. It was almost midnight. So she went back to the lock. But Nessie. Okay. Anyways. No underwear on. I have nothing to say to that because you're dumb as fuck. <laughs> when he looked closer, he was horrified by what... Oh, he... Suddenly he... Oh, no, I said that. When he looked closer, he was horrified by what he saw. There along the side of the lane was, was a, a dead body of a woman. Oh, I thought it was a butt plug. She was completely naked, which made the sight even grimmer. The cabinet maker quickly found a way to notify the police of his discovery. Because they didn't have cell phones. Right. 
As soon as the authority, I have to remind people because kids nowadays don't know what it was like not to have a cell. They so will what, never have the satisfaction of slamming that phone down when they were mad. But back in our day, we didn't even have t- telephones. We had to send smoke signals like the Indians. Puff, 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 puff. And then the police were over there going, what does that say? Oh, no. There's been a murder on puff, 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 puff. Fifth, puff, puff, puff. And Argyle. Let's go. <laughs> The bat signal. That's right. And then they had to ride their horses. Stop it. Okay. So anyways, as soon as the authorities arrived on the scene, they determined rather quickly that the woman had died several hours prior to when she was found. They also noticed that someone had used her own pantyhose to strangle her to death. Oh, that's fucked up, man. Yeah. Upon searching the area further, they couldn't locate the rest of her clothing or any of her personal items. This led to their conclusion that the woman had been killed somewhere else, possibly. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, that her killer had just dumped her body along the side of a rope. The woman's body was left, check this out, a few yards from Patricia's house, and unfortunately, it was up to her parents. I identified the remains, and they made a positive ID. She was a few yards from her own house. That's where, okay, I'm making a lot of jokes, but that's pretty fucked up, Yeah. So this dude knew where she lived. If she was killed somewhere else. Pretty much. And brought there. Yeah. Well, you'll find out some more interesting information. Knew where this bitch lived. Yeah, so after Patricia's parents made the identification, the authorities went around to all of the local residents to ask them questions. They also performed a thorough search of the area in hopes of finding her belongings, and divers even went into the icy cold waters of the River Cart, located nearby, but none of her things could be found. None of them. They asked questions pertaining to the case, not like random questions like, you know, do you like mustard? On your biscuits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like mustard on your biscuits? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, anything like that? Or have you seen Nessie lately? They ask questions about the case, right? I'm assuming so. Okay, I, I'm just making sure. I'm just trying to follow along. That's all. You're a dipshit. Did they find a butt plug? Oh, my God. Vlogger? Ballgame? Officers talked to one neighbor that told them she may have heard a woman crying for help sometime in the wee hours. Like how I say we there? On the February 23rd. However, the information she gave them was far too vague. So it didn't prove to be valuable. See, that's another thing I don't understand. Like on a serious note, when when there is any kind of a witness, the you know, it's always things like, "Well, I thought I heard somebody screaming outside, and I woke up and I took a pee and drank some water, and I still heard the screaming." But I said, "You know what? They're just probably having fun, even though they're saying help. Somebody's killing me, and I just went back to bed." We hear that a lot, guys. If you're hearing somebody scream like fucking hey, well, and they help tell me. you don't even scream rape or help, they say scream fire. No, well, that would work too. You know, that's what they tell women in self defense classes because nobody will pay attention to help or rape. I would. No, like, like for real. If oh, I well, somebody... I would too, but. And that's given that I have made jokes running away, yelling rape, rape, ask Maritza. No, like for real. She... <laughs> One of my favorite stories. Is uh, we were living in California. We had just gotten married, and I was sick. Well, she's trying to give me my medicine. So we talked about my my voice for little boy, right? I did that. No, lady, bad lady, no, 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 And I run through the house and jumped into bed and covered my face up. Come here, goddamn, come here. Take it, take it, take it, take it. No help, rape, rape. <laughs> she's trying to touch me with my baby suit covers. Help. And she was pissed. It was great. I've been pissed at you, too. Poor girl. See, <laughs> wonder, people wonder why we call you a child. 
Um, let's see here. Um, the authorities also learned that a party was held on the evening of February 22nd, and it was hosted by a local journalist in the vicinity of the crime scene. They talked with all of the reporters and the photographers who had been at this party, and their hope was that the partygoers were naturally more observant than the average citizen. It would give them more detailed information. But I'm pretty sure they're wrong. the people from the party they interviewed didn't know anything. Look here, laddie. We were sitting around. And we were all drunk. We were, the Guinness. <laughs> we drank the Guinness. That's actually a, a Irish beer. It's I not know. even from Scotland. We were getting drunk. And then we talked about Nessie. Is it, is it male or female? We've never seen Nessie's penis is all I'm saying. Then I noticed that I had to go and rub something out of my, 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 my kilt. So I ran away in the breeze to get my balls. You know what? You are not going to do this whole episode like that, are you? I, lass, I. Anyways. <laughs> and the police force even took a photograph of one of their policewomen who looked like Patricia wearing clothes that were similar to the one she had on. And they circulated the photo around the area, hoping it would trigger someone's memory um, after she, uh, and about noticing Patricia after she left the dance hall. No matter what the law enforcement officials tried to generate leads, the investigation soon hit a wall. However, the detectives soon learned that Glasgow was about to gain a dark, depraved chapter. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history on Glasgow because... Aye, lassie. Give us the history. Glasgow, um, where was I? The origin of the town's name actually derives from a Gaelic phrase meaning Green Hollow. However, the... And because this is, it used to be pastoral lands everywhere. That shut up. People need to stop making fun of me. Up, uh, anyways, made up the city. By this point, had given way to an industrial boom that hit near the around the River Clyde. Now, eventually, Glasgow grew into the bustling metropolis that now claims many cultural gems. I mean, you have like amazing architecture over there because it's like the old style stuff that I would love to go see. I lassie. You know, and a lot of like very prestigious universities and renowned museums. Now, by definition, though, bright lights that shine will cast dark shadows. Uh, that theory pertains to Glasgow as much as any other city. Um, I'm going to feature some guy out of Vancouver on Friday. One journalist by the name of Russell Ledbetter wrote an apt description in the newspaper Evening Times when he said a city, he said the city holds, quote, no shortage of thugs, murders, villains, and petty thieves. That's um, true, Lassie. That is true. Now, there are some instances here. For instance, Madeline Smith. She was put on trial in 1957 for allegedly poisoning her foreign lover, Emile I can't even pronounce this. Langelier, L-A-L hyphen A-N-G-L-I-E-R. Apparently, he threatened to make their love affair public as soon as she began making preparations to marry her wealthy suitor. And he refused to wear a kilt? Yeah, he had, shut up. He had held onto every love letter that she had ever written him. And those letters, when they were read out loud in the Victorian era courtroom, caused quite the scandal. He was in love, man. Yeah. Come on, cut the dude some slack. Like he was he sounds like he was truly in love, man. Yeah, well anyways, check this out. Um 
even though the letters alone proved a clear motive for the murders, they weren't able to prevent to the prosecutors weren't prosecutors weren't able to prove her opportunity. Therefore, she was acquitted of the charges, but her acquittal fell under what is a quite is quite a unique verdict in the Scottish law books, which is her verdict was not proven. Oh, okay. Yeah. Instead of not guilty or whatever. Um, I lost. Yeah. Then there was the case of, shut up, Dr. Edward William Pritchard. Pritchard's wife was at home. She developed some sort of mysterious sickness. Um, However, when she was no longer around him, she made a full recovery. Go figure. He was eventually able to murder her and her mother just because uh, by using an easily disguised poison, which we have never heard of, called antimony. Oh, my God. I'm in love with this guy. Yeah. Thank you. So thank you for using a fucking poison besides arsenic. I just. Mm. just Scott's got a tear. A tear. <laughs> it's beautiful, man. <laughs> fucking beautiful. I love you. Yeah. So after the two women were deceased, the authorities came into possession of a letter that had been written anonymously. And this letter persuaded them to exhume the remains and when the results of the tests ran on the bodies resulted in Pritchard being charged and tried in 1965, his guilty verdict allowed the doctor to claim a bit of Glasgow fame. He earned the distinction of being the very last person publicly executed in Scotland history. Okay, that's bullshit. That's fucking bullshit. You want to know why? Everybody should be publicly executed? I believe in that. But he didn't use insulin. He didn't use arsenic. He didn't use something bullshit like bleach. No. Nothing true. like that. He used something that nobody else has on that alone. Life in prison. At the most. Tops. At the most. That is tops. Now, I think they should have released him after he did, I don't know, four hours. Because, you know, he, he's not a basic bitch like everybody else. Yeah. No basic bitch. You're a bonny lad, doctor. Yeah. Bonny lad. And then they have the case of Oscar Slater. His case was the distinction of being an obvious, quote, obvious miscarriage of justice. In 1908, he was tried and convicted for bludgeoning an elderly woman to death. His conviction was handed down despite the eyewitness testimony providing a clear description of a person who committed the murders. And it was clearly obvious that he did not remotely resemble that description. That's fucked up. The man. guy's verdict of guilt was even criticized publicly by Sherlock Holmes author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, the man even wrote a book that supported Slater's defense. After spending almost 20 long years in prison for the crime, he would eventually be cleared of the charges that landed him there. That's fucked up, man. I think that Glasgow and all of Scotland should yeah. have had to pay him restitution for the rest of his life. Yeah. You, you have eyewitnesses that said, hey, no, we saw the dude that did it. You know, he had like brown hair and brown eyes and dreadlocks. And he, he you know, he looked like he was black. Looked like you. Yeah. Exactly. And in your blonde hair, blue eyed and shit. Oh, no. Arrest this guy. That's fucked up. 20 fucking yeah. years. Dicks. Well, look at the case of John Christie, how his neighbor was executed for his crime. Oh, yeah. There's that. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I'm so outraged by that that I hope that the people that threw him in prison, I hope your kilts caught on fire and burned your balls. <laughs> So then there's Not a case of at all. Archibald Hall. Archibald Hall. <laughs> he was a native of Glasgow who was born in 1924, and he managed to actually rise from his humble upbringing, kind of like you, 
Rise from his bootstraps to become a butler serving some elite citizens of Great Britain. Oh, sweet. Yeah, he would become rather well-known when he murdered some of his former employers of his who were extremely wealthy. After he killed them, he killed his girlfriend because he didn't, she didn't want Hall to pawn some of the jewelry pieces that he had stolen. Then, when his brother began asking a lot of questions about how Hall had become so wealthy, he murdered that man, too. Hey, that's business management right there. Yeah. Uh, he's just managing shit. Yeah. Then there's a case of Ian Brady, which we know about him. Yeah, we did him, huh? The Moore's murders. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then this guy we're going to cover, but brief history on him, um, Peter Manuel. 1958, he was only 32 years old when he became known as the last person in Glasgow to be hanged. We will probably be featuring him. However, Manuel murdered at least eight people and committed a large number of burglaries and assaults. He would be tried many times as an adult and was well known to be a master in providing his own defense during his trials. He even Holy managed shit. to avoid being convicted on more than one occasion. Oh, you don't tell our listeners that. You want to know why? Now, we have smart listeners. If you are listening to our podcast, obviously you're a smart listener, okay? But some of you... Are going to think you can do it. You know who the fuck you are. You know who you are. Yeah, you're pointing at yourself right now, aren't you? Me? You can't be talking about me. Yeah, yes. No. Like, yes. That, like that Ron White. What do you mean the fat guy sitting in a beanbag chair eating Cheetos, licking the orange off his fingers right now? Exactly. Yeah, we're talking to you. We're ta- I'm talking to you. <laughs> Keep this in mind. A man who provides his own defense in court has a moron as an attorney. Okay. And a shit shit show for a client. And a shit show for a client. Don't fucking do it. Jesus, you can't. This is one out of a million people, and he managed to pull it off. You're not going to do it. Okay, Jack Hall? Jesus fucking Christ. Well, during one of his trials, earlier murder trials, he was able with skilled precision take the blame off himself and shift it. I said shit. Shift it. He shit all over him. Yeah. To the uh, victim's uh, widower, who was completely innocent. And his argument was so convincing, the widower spent some time in jail under suspicion for committing the murder. Yeah, that's him. That's not you assholes, okay? I'm just saying it's not you. You wonder why I say that? Because somebody's going to fucking do their own defense, and they're going to come back. Well, I was listening to Brutal Nation, and they said that I could probably do it. No, we did not say that. No, we did not say that. Matter of fact, I'm telling you the opposite, because obviously, yes, you. Don't look. we just said in the last, no, two episodes ago, sit down and shut the fuck up. Right. That's all you got to do, man. Now, and I know you're looking at he can't be talking about. Yeah, no, I'm directly talking to you, dude. Right? Yes, you. Yes. Yes, I know you're pointing at yourself. You. Don't fucking do it. You ain't that smart. You might think you are, but, but you're ain't. not. Just trying to help yeah. you out there, fucktard. Yeah, well, you'll love this guy. Manuel's sociopathic behavior developed into pure audacity over the years. He took the lives of a family of three during the 1957-1958 holiday season. After he left the dead bodies of his victims laying around the house, he left. However... He returned several times over the series of several days so he could relax. On, one, on his return trips, he would eat the family's holiday leftovers, and he drove around in their car. He was even nice enough to give the family's cat some food each time he came over. 
That's nice of him. Yeah. Don't let the cat die. Yeah. Starve to death. That's fucked up. Yeah. Nice well, you know, just when people of Glasgow thought they could breathe a sigh of relief. No. Nope, ten years later, it starts happening again. Oh, shit. Um, I don't even want to say this woman's name. Oh, why is that? She is a white girl. I have to say that ahead of time. Are you sure she's white? Yes, I've you seen pictures that? of all three of them. Okay. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. She's straight out of Compton? No. Approximately one and a half years after Patricia's remains were discovered, um, very close to her parents' house, um, the majority of the town had all but forgotten her. Um, that she had been brutally murdered. Most didn't even think about the case at all. As a matter of fact, my God, Lord help me. I can't, I can't even get her way around this. Yes. 32 year old Jemima. <laughs> That's no way. I, I know you saw pictures. Of it. That's not a white girl. I'm pretty sure she is. Look it up. Yeah, they, they showed you pictures of a white girl. She was Just, from Scotland, though. Okay. But let me let me explain something, okay? If you hear a name like <laughs> Thaddeus or Aiden or Chance, those are very white names. Like, automatically, you sit there and go, that's a white motherfucker right there. If you hear a name like Jerome or Jemima. We did a Jerome Brudos who was very white. He's the exception to the rule. He's got He's black He's as white as you are. But when you hear names like that, you know, or you hear something like, oh, I don't know, uh, Enchilada Jones. Jemima. And Jemima. You go, um, no. That's, that's, that's distinctly not white. I'm not saying it that they're black. I'm saying that they're distinctly not white. Just saying. You're bad. Nope, I'm just factual. No, you're bad. I'm homofactual. Facts at home. Anyways, she had three children, and she wasn't even thinking about Patricia's murder anymore. I, And this is even worse. On August 16, 1969... <laughs> she was anticipating her plans to go out later in the evening. She dropped her kids off at her sister Margaret's house while she went to the Borrowland Ballroom. And she used a pick on her hair so her fro would be nice and big. Yeah, hang on. Oh no, there's another missing man in Washington County. Man or man? Man. Man? A missing endangered man in. I'm County. endangered. <laughs> you guys are bad. Why do you guys. Stuff. So, anyhow, Jemima used a pick on her fro. No, but you'll put see. on a nashiki. Um, back in the late sixties, though, women, including Jemima, went through a pot. I can't, even, including this nice lady, Jemima, w- went through a popular ritual when doing their hair. Since young women often sported heavily sprayed hairstyles, they had to find a way. This pack probably before Aquanet, and they had to keep their really hair big. in place when they went out. That, she didn't have to. She had a big fro. That night, Jemima placed a scarf over her head when she left her house. When she arrived at the barland, she headed straight to the women's restroom. And that's where she took the scarf off, removed the curlers holding her hair in place. Then she finished adjusting it and uh, just right and touched up her makeup. When she was satisfied, she went out to the dance floor. And everybody said, damn girl, that a big fro you got. When interviewed later, others who were out dancing that night remembered seeing her. 
They said for the majority of the evening, she danced with a rather tall man who was wearing a blue suit. They thought he was maybe in his early 30s. Some said perhaps late 20s. And he appeared to be rather dapper and had short, light-colored hair. (laughs) There were several people outside the dance hall in the early morning hours on the 17th walking around. And those people said that they saw Jemima walking away with an attractive man when she left the Borrowland. When they saw her, she slowly faded away in the distance. Um, When Jemima didn't return to Margaret's place to get her children in the early hours as planned, her sister became concerned. As the hours marched on, her worry increased, and she was so distracted by her anxiety, she didn't hear the other children around the neighborhood outside her window. Uh, the younger kids were talking about to each other about what they had found when they went to an abandoned building located nearby. They often went to this nearby structure to play, and that morning they were greeted by a rather grisly sight. When Margaret finally listened to what the local children were saying, she became scared. She went outside and asked one of the kids where this building they were talking about was located. When she arrived at the crumbling structure, she discovered they had found Jemima's deceased body laying on the floor. So close Mm. to her destination. Pretty close. And she had syrup, too. Yeah. Because she was an auntie. So, you know, that makes her Aunt Jemima. People don't know what Aunt Jemima is. They do. That's only a recent thing. No. Well, they quit. Yeah, they quit. They quit it now. And your mama's syrup for you fuckers that yeah, don't know maple that. maple syrup. It's so delicious. It's pretty good, yeah. It's so buttery. She she wasn't, she, you know, her sister had kids too. She's an aunt. She's Aunt Jemima. <laughs> she was actually still wearing most of her clothes when she was found. And that was the only difference her murder had from Patricia's. When the authorities arrived, they discovered that she had been strangled to death with her own nylons. And they also realized her purse was gone and she was discovered in a location close to her destination. That's ex- almost exact. That is exactly like fucking yeah. the, the, the first one. Yeah. There was also another odd similarity between the two cases. Jemima and Patricia were both having their menstrual cycle at the time they were murdered. It's a werewolf. Yeah, a, okay. a strangling werewolf. Yeah. Or vampire. Um, You'll see something weird in the next one. I but, see weird shit all the time. <laughs> I know. This is just even more bizarre. When police officers began investigating her murder, they said about trying to ask other people who had been at the bar land on the 16th. This task seemed to be a futile endeavor. Um. Some of the people who were in attendance were married, and those individuals had informed their spouses that they had plans to go to another location. They weren't even supposed to be at the Borrowland that night. Um, two days after Jemima's body was found on August 19th, the authorities did something unusual. They actually went down to the Borrowland and ordered the staff to shut off the music. Then they got on the stage and implored anyone with the information about what happened to step forward. And then sang YMCA by the village people. Jemima had six siblings. When she was found murdered, they pooled a hundred pounds together. And when they offered the money, then they offered that money up as a reward. They were going to give it to anyone who came forward with information that led to an arrest. Despite that, the authorities weren't able to find any viable suspects. While singing the YMCA. Where are you going? I need an energy drink. Oh. I'm tired. And then I got a PP. You always walk away from me. I have to. I got to pee, man. Walking to being diabetic. You pee all the time. 
Anyways, I think I'm it's start, just me. I'm just going to keep a milk jug next to the... Please don't. Just pee right here. Please don't. You can watch they it. They have... um. What are they called? Women's catheter things? I that saw that. They, they give them to truck drivers. You know, a lot of female truck drivers use them on the road. Yeah, party on. I'm not using that shit. I have a dick. So you say. <laughs> My mom wouldn't know, and she's never going to. Anyways, when law enforcement couldn't get any solid leads from the public, they ramped up their investigation. They wanted to find a way to get the local citizens to remember the events. So again, they had this time, instead of passing around a picture, they had an officer wear clothes that resembled Jemima's on the night she went to the they bar. They did that land. with the first one, too. No, they took a picture of her. Oh. This time, they had her retrace Jemima's steps um, in hopes that somebody, you know, the investigators gathered a few new clues with this gesture, but none of them led them to a specific suspect. They weren't able to find the killer they were looking for. They had a sketch artist draw a composite of the man who witnesses had seen leave the dance hall with Jemima. Then they did something else that would be a first in Scottish law enforcement history. They provided the press with a copy of the sketch. Um, prior to Jemima's murder, any composite that was drawn up was only passed around to other officers working at the station. Before her case had gone cold, the police finally received information in a lead that seemed promising. Unfortunately, it accompanied another murder, and the lead came from a viable witness who claimed they had ridden in a taxi with the killer who was with another victim. Um... With the hopes of getting a jump start on her Halloween plans, 20-year-old Helen made a decision to go out on October 30th, 1969. She went to spend the evening dancing at, of course, the Borrowland. And she was married, but her husband told her he would just stay home at the house and look after their two sons. And he did warn her to be exceptionally careful. Um, Helen did just shrug off her husband's concerns. She wasn't even remotely thinking she was in danger because um, even with the link between the establishment and the recent murders, she thought she was safe because she wasn't going alone. She and Jean, her sister, both thought they had nothing to worry about. While Helen was out that evening, she was seen dancing with a younger, tall man. And Jean said that the pair spent most of their time only dancing with each other. When Helen and Jean left the Borrowland, some this is back in the disco era, huh? I like disco. <laughs> boogie fever, boogie staying down. alive, staying alive. Every time I hear that, there was a joke the comedian did, and he goes like this: He goes, uh, "You can't understand the words that I'm singing because I'm singing too high, singing too high." <laughs> ah, ah. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Blah blah blah. Uh. When Helen and Jean left. The Borrowland, sometime around midnight, one again or midnight, uh, they held a taxi. The man Helen had been dancing with said he would ride along with them to make sure they made it home safely. Jean would be haunted by the following events for the rest of her life. While Jean was in the taxi with the man and Helen, she found out his name was John. He even shared part of his history um, with them. Hang on. I wrote something weird here. Let me fix it. His history uh, with them. The authorities later had Jean give them as much detail as she could remember about the man 
who had shared the taxi with her. According to Jean, John told them he had a sister, that he and his sister were raised in a very strict and extremely religious family, and he said that he could still quote Bible verses with tremendous ease and accuracy. Um, she also remembered that John talked about playing golf in according, of course, Scotland. According to him, Everybody his plays golf in Scotland. His golf playing was rather poor in comparison to his cousins. After all, his cousin had hit a hole in one a few days before that. Jean couldn't remember anything remarkable happening on her ride in the taxi, according to this, a couple of articles. According to her recollections, Helen had and drawn dropped her off at home. Then she stood on the curb and watched as the taxi carrying her sister and the man disappeared during the early morning hour on October 31st. However, I did find other accounts about this taxi ride, accounts Jean gave that were more sinister in nature. The report said that John was visibly upset that he and Helen weren't alone in the cab. Um, he seemed to be resentful that Jean was even present, and apparently John kept going on about evil women who ventured out to establishments such as the Borrowland. These accounts said that John had rudely ignored Jean during the last portion of their ride, and when the cab driver dropped Jean off and she said goodbye to her sister and the man, he actually refused to acknowledge she had spoken to him. What a dick. Yeah. No matter how personable John had or hadn't been during the cab ride to Jean's house is neither here nor there. What is important is that the last time anyone saw Helen was when Jean got out of the cab and watched her sister ride off into the night. On the morning of Halloween, a man took his dog out for a walk. While he strolled along with his dog, he saw what assumed what he assumed were old rags piled up on the street. When he looked at the pile closer, he realized the legs were actually the fully clothed body of a woman. He immediately ran to get help, and the woman turned out to be Helen. As with the other two victims, Helen was found to be strangled with her own stockings. Her purse was also nowhere to be found, and they discovered that, like Jemima and Patricia before her, Helen was having her menstrual cycle when she was murdered. The difference investigators found with Helen's body was that her sanitary pad had been removed from her panties and placed under one of her armpits. Deodorant. Bizarre as fuck. It is. I'm still trying to figure out why they're calling him Bible John because I haven't heard nothing about a Bible. No, because he could quote Bible verses with ease. That's the first mention of it. Yeah, well. So, yeah. Because nobody had any, nobody had known of him before. I mean. They could have called him the the well-suited stranger or something. They're all saying he was, you know, kind of a dapper man like me. Well, they didn't call him Bible John. They didn't start calling. They didn't even know his name was John until after Jean told them. And then when she told him about his ease at quoting Bible verses, he was given. I, I get into it here in a second. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Shut up. Continue on, Lassie. There was another difference with Helen's murder. This time the murderer had left behind two distinct clues. The first was a bite mark he had left on Helen's body. Which was actually on her wrist. I found out later. The other was a fresh semen stain that was found on her clothes. Now, during the time, the authorities had limited forensic testing capabilities. However, the authorities, the law enforcement officers at the scene had the forethought to preserve those samples. And decades later, they would come into play again. The authorities questioned Jean multiple times to get as much information about John as they possibly could. They then took this information and released it to the media. They hoped by doing so, members of the public would come forward. 
Um, the press grabbed onto the information about John being able to quote scripture with ease and accuracy, and they wound up giving him the moniker Bible John. That name would haunt the citizens of Glasgow for a great number of years. Um, how the cases were linked. When it comes to all three women, the cases shared similar, a number of similarities. Each one, the women had gone to the barland the night before their bodies were found. The three victims had been strangled with their own nylons. Uh, the murderer had left all three bodies in the vicinity of their residence or their final destination. Each of the women's handbags were missing from the crime scene, and it's believed that he had taken them as trophies. And Patricia, Jemima, and Helen had all been on their menstrual cycle. Would Jemima. you stop it? I'm See, just thinking of I Jemima. I regret saying that. There are some times when I dread, dread. Okay, let me, dread. Let, me, okay, let me offer this up. I want you to name at least one other white couple or white person that has named their child Jemima. I can't. Right offhand. I bet you we can Google that. And Google would say, mm, no. Impossible. <laughs> Does not compute. Google would literally look at me and go, what you talking about? Damn. <laughs> You're so bad. In each case, the description witnesses gave them of the man seen leaving the dance hall with the women was very similar. He was between 25 and 30 years old. And they actually, re uh, after Helen's body was found, they released this to the media. He was t between 25, 30 years old. He had a medium build and was approximately six foot tall. He had light reddish colored hair, which was cut short and his eyes were blue or gray in color. His teeth also stood out on the upper right side. One tooth overlapped the other one significantly. And which my mom used to have that. Same problem on the same side back uh -huh. in the day. I just solved the mystery. <laughs> it was my mama. Sadly, it was your mom. But don't worry, baby. She you can quote Bible verses with these too. You wear that Catwoman outfit. I'll come to bat for you. Meow. He wore a watch that had what appeared to be a military-styled band. Um, I just I must have wrote this drunk. There's a shocker. Or high. Shut up. There's I'm a not shocker. drunk all the time. And high. High all the time. No. Later, the New York Daily News ran reports. Um, uh, sitting the lead investigator for the murder cases had come forward claiming that Bible John was a product of the media, that the media had created the story, story and the authorities did not believe. Uh... The three women um, were murdered by the same man. However, those reports seem to contradict what is well known about the police investigation. The reports following Helen's murder strongly suggest that the Glasgow authorities believed all three were linked. The connections they found spurred the largest police investigation in the history of the Glasgow Police Department. In fact, it was the biggest investigation the cities of Glasgow had ever witnessed. Um, a student at the Glasgow school, this part's funny, school of art drew a color portrait using the descriptions witnesses had given to the authorities and the student then created copies that were passed around Glasgow. The portrait brought about a comical event that surrounded the investigation. When one of the witnesses was being questioned, the individual suggested that Bible's John's hair was similar in color 
to a dog that they had just saw passing by. When the witness said this, the officers ran through the city streets chasing this scared little puppy. Oh the my officers God. managed to corner the animal, at which time they cut off a lock of its hair and gave it to the artist creating the rendering. Oh my God, that's messed up, man. That poor little puppy. Could you imagine? Jesus Christ. All these well, and then I keep thinking of the Keystone Cops, the silent movies. No shit, chasing, huh? Yeah. So when the color portrait was created, the authorities received upwards... Um, uh, 4,000 tips from the public. All of the witnesses reported that they had seen or they knew who the man depicted in the picture was. And one major complaint from a scared dog. <laughs> <laughs> that poor puppy was traumatized. I was traumatized and attacked by the police for no reason. For no reason. I was profiled. I was profiled. Because of my hair color. <laughs> they, they tackled me and they took a lock on my hair. They could have asked. I would have given it to them. I'm shedding. Yeah. So since so many people had come forward saying that they either knew they had seen or knew who this guy was, the men who resembled the portrait in any way were issued cards from the authorities in the event another law enforcement official approached them. All they had to do oh. was produce the card to show they had been they, cleared They out. did that with that one in uh, Sacramento or San Francisco with the the Soul Brothers. and uh, when Oh, they... yeah, 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 yeah. God damn it. I can't remember who the fuck that was. The doodler? No, it wasn't the doodler. It was one that I did. Oh, the zebra. The zebra killer. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So, okay. I the thought black that was... and yellow? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, except that, you know, here it was black and black folks. And then over there, it was like people that had hair like a dog. <laughs> I... Could you imagine? Here's my question. I wonder if they gave that dog a card. So he wouldn't be profiled. <laughs> the cops like, stop right there. He's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. Look, 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 right here. Look. No, they just have to show the bald patch. See this bald patch? I've got the card. My name is Fluffy McFlufferson, <laughs> and uh, they've already got me, okay? Just Scrooge back the fuck off. Just back the fuck off there, all right? <laughs> God damn. Like, you don't have to attack me again. You want hair? You want? Do you need more hair? Don't pull it out. I'm shedding. <laughs> I'll give you all you want, Poor man. puppy. During this time, Helen's husband released a statement imploring the killer to surrender. It's even said that he offered a reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction. And those reports say that the reward he was willing to pay would have been the majority of what he had in his savings. So it's understandable. Yeah. In another, Did you, I have a question. Did Jemima's family offer up anything? Did yeah. Jemima had six siblings that offered up a hundred oh, okay, pound reward. It. Yeah. And some, and some maple syrup. Fuck off. This was buttery. Not from Vermont. In another desperate bid to generate leads from the public, the BBC aired their version of Unsolved Mysteries. They wanted to recreate the last night Helen was seen alive and what they may the what may have transpired between her and Bible John. Again, they used a fellow policewoman to stand in for Helen and one of the men they had questioned who bore a strong resemblance to the composite. Um However, that episode barely generated a few leads. Um, sometime after Helen was murdered, a gentleman contacted law enforcement with a potential lead. He said he was riding on a bus that was virtually empty early Hall Halloween morning. At one stop, a younger male boarded the bus, and he was really tore up with messy hair and scratches all over his face. 
This passenger got off the bus on Gray Street, and when officers searched around that area for anybody matching Bible John's description, they found nothing. Okay, hold on. That is, once again, profiling, because that shit has happened to me. What? You gotten on the bus all disheveled? Looked all disheveled. I had scratches all over me when I had hair. My hair was all fucked up, because apparently when you try to, you know, pet a pack of wild dogs... Or a stray cat. Or a stray cat, because you think that you're the pussy whisperer. Um, you get scratches and bit. Then chewed on. Kind of a lot. Oh, I know what you all thought. This was going to be one of my sex jokes, huh? No. I jump out of moving cars for puppies. You have no freaking He does. Idea. He does. He slams on the brakes <laughs> of his semi to save a dog. Oh, I, I would. I, I'll wreck the truck. I don't care. Yeah. Well, just to pet the puppy, not oh, to save it. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I told you a story about scaring that dude with the three puppies in uh in Hood River. Yeah, poor yeah. guy. <laughs> they were puppies, though. They were so cute. I love puppies. You are such a child. I am, and I love puppies. Yeah. So they the authorities were actually dealing with an overwhelming level of public response. To put it in perspective, at one point, they had more than 100 officials following up on leads in the case, and... There were that many officials because they had collected upwards of 50,000 statements. Holy shit. Investigators also said about questioning all the city's bus drivers and local cab drivers. While most of the police officials were taking statements and questioning public transportation workers, younger police officers were going undercover. They would go to the borrowland acting like they were out for a fun night of dancing and the whole time they scanned the crowds looking for anyone that matched the description Jean had given them. With the description, investigators also turned part of the focus of the investigation on local armed forces and even fellow law enforcement officials because of his oh. cropped hair. Well, they, that actually yeah. makes sense because remember I did the one on, the, on that cop that was killing girls in uh, Russia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I, I'd have to look up the name, but it was one of our earlier episodes. I think it was probably, I don't know, probably in the 30s or 40s. Yeah. Part of our episodes. Part of our episodes. It was actually in like 80s or 90s. But uh, yeah, I think we were on episode like 30 or 40 or something. Bullshit yeah. Like no, I remember. So and in an attempt to leave no stone unturned, some law enforcement <laughs> officers went around to area dentists. They were hoping one of them had information about a male patient with a specific tooth overlap they were looking for. They also went around to all of the golf courses all over the country. They were trying to see if one of them had a lead on the story Bible John had told Jean about his cousin getting a hole-in-one. Um, in an effort to aid the authorities in their investigation, one of the local newspaper offices sought the help of a Dutch psychic. This psychic had been used in other cases and had proven to be helpful in the past. The psychic was only told what Helen's name was, her age, and where her body was discovered. After that, the, uh, the psychic drew a very detailed map of a local neighborhood. However, when officers went out and searched the area, nothing turned up. Sometime in the mid-70s, back before they had profiling criminal profiling a local psychiatrist in town developed somewhat of a profile he stated that bible john would try to appear as if he were friendly but he would come across as rather prudish 
Um, the psychiatrist also stated that the suspect they were looking for would tend to be go see movies alone. And the person they were looking for would read books on topics that centered on anything from sorcery to Third Reich Nazism. It's a pretty fucking broad spectrum. That's what I said. Jesus. Might as well just say from okay. A to Z. The guy you're looking for either has brown hair or blonde. Or bald. Or he could be bald. could be short. It could be long. He has eyes. He definitely has eyes. He could be fat. He could be thin. He reads anything from he he, he reads books specifically that are, uh, you know, cookbooks. Uh, but it could be about space travel. Um, we don't know. Yeah, you, you you didn't give a profile, dude. You just gave random fucking guesses. Like seriously, you might as well just put up descriptions on the on the wall. Like astronaut ice cream. That shit's good. Astronaut ice cream. What? You've never had astronaut ice cream? No. It is like it. freeze-dried Neapolitan ice cream. It is so... It's just like... Mm. It's like you put it in your mouth and it kind of melts. Like nougat. Oh, okay. Kinda, you know? Delicious. I love it. Yeah, groovy. Yeah. Let me sniff away. Good, because I farted. Oh! Nasty, Scott! How's my ass smell? I can't smell it. All I can smell is this last piece of bacon I'm eating. Stop it. Jean herself had to go down to the area police stations over 250 times to view lineups. Each time she went in, she wasn't able to make a positive ID of Bible John. Even though the investigation marched on, police weren't able to make any arrests. As the new decade dawned, Bible John and the three women he murdered faded in the minds of the Glasgow citizens. Now, Patricia, Jemima, and Helen were the only victims the authorities linked to Bible John. However, some have theorized that he committed other murders as well. For example, there was one woman murdered in 1977 that brought Bible John back into the spotlight. She had been out one night at a dance hall in Glasgow. The next morning, her remains were discovered, and she had been strangled to death. Her purse was also nowhere to be found. Was she strangled with her pantyhose or stockings? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. In the early stages of that investigation, a man known only as John M. was an original suspect, and police officers hauled him into the station and brought Jean in to see if she could pick him out of a lineup. He resembled the composite so much that as time passed and the cases grew cold, John M. was still thought as the prime suspect. Investigators later in later years continued to keep his name at the top of their suspect list, even after sometime in 1980 when he committed suicide. Now we have the dawn of DNA technology. When the murders were committed in the late 60s, DNA wasn't even on the brink of reaching its potential. However, by the time the late 90s dawned, forensic criminology had far surpassed what anybody had dreamed of. And with the dawn of DNA technology, police officials in Glasgow decided to test the bite mark they had found on Helen's body. They were also eager to test the sperm stain. Um, they were looking to see if the DNA was a possible match to their prime suspect, John M. When they tested the sample against one of his siblings, the results were inconclusive. So law enforcement um, did the next step and they submitted a request to the court to exhume his body. They received the exhumation order in February 96. Glasgow University's Marie Cassidy was assigned to supervise the process. And she was the one in charge of taking DNA samples to test them for comparison. 
Now, at the time, she told a reporter for the Daily Record that the test, quote, will leave no doubt whether this is Bible John or not. She was so confident in the test she would be overseeing that she went on to say, quote, if DNA testing has been around in the days of Jack the Ripper, things would have been very different, which I agree with that statement. Yeah, totally, because, you know, they didn't know that we didn't have DNA testing back then, so you know that. You have a stray oh, whisker going out. I know. I know. You know on fucking, the other side. There you go. Jack the Ripper fucking probably left DNA everywhere. Well, it's believed Jack the Ripper was actually a woman. Or was royalty. I've heard that one. Yeah, I've heard that one too. I've also heard. Are you going to like wrote put uh, bees in that now? I am. That's my plan. That's why it's so long. Um, or wrote medical journals. They, they had a guy that was suspected who used to write medical journals. They th- they believe that uh, the Black Dahlia murder was committed by a doctor too. Well, she was like, like cut in half so precisely. You're doing this. I thought you meant she no, had big boobs. This way. Shut up. She had huge chugs, man. That would be this. Can I like your mom? No, my mom does not have big boobs like that. Let me find out. No. Thank you, (laughs) Jake. Anyways, unfortunately, before the tests were even conducted, the press latched on to John M. as the suspect. Um, they saturated the media coverage all around Scotland with his name, which we saw this in the Danny Rowling case where they did that kid. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. yeah. Um, with his name, his picture, and his life story. The media circus thrust members of his family who were still in the area into a spotlight they would just soon wish to avoid. It even got to a point where John M.'s children and surviving relatives were being hunted down by those seeking an interview. All this before the DNA test had even been but done. But we see that with the media a lot. They'll pick oh, a, we do. They laugh guy, on to shit. Let's call our guy John Smith, okay? Mm-hmm. They get a little bit of a, a hint like, hey, we think this guy John Smith might be the one who robbed this house. Right. And then all of a sudden, the media, be, we, they're, they're pursuing this guy, and they, they blow it all up out of proportion. Now, we find out, no, John Smith didn't do it. It was actually uh, Roy Jones or whatever. Well, in like the Danny Rowling case, they latched onto that kid because he had scars from a car accident. Right. And his picture made for good media. Right. You know, and they, 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 they latch onto that, and it destroys people's lives even after they've been proven innocent. Like, oh, no, yeah. this is your dude. And then everybody else is like, hey, you robbed a house. Well, no, I never robbed a house. Oh, yeah, you did. The media told me so. No, they said that I was acquitted. That doesn't matter. Yeah. In their eyes, they're already convinced that you did a crime. Yeah, precisely. Crime. Yeah, it's fucked up. Um, yeah. Um, several of John M.'s past acquaintances, though, freely gave interviews. To the press when they were approached. When they were asked, each one said whether or not they felt the man was, in fact, the killer. Did you just do that again? What did I do? I'm not even going to say Pass the gas? Yes. I did not this time. Oh, you just adjusted? I just adjusted. Mm. I'm afraid to pass gas because of my... Uh, Your issue? I'm having bathroom issues today. Yeah, the media went over John M.'s life with a fine-tooth comb and inspected every perceived shortcoming of his under-headline microscopes. Helen's husband gave an interview to a reporter for the Daily Record that was printed in a February 5th, 1996 issue. He wanted to set the record straight. A lot of the more recent articles painted Helen as a, quote, tart. And he said that's what hurts most. She was a terrific mom, a uh, terrific mom, and a vivacious girl. She and wasn't she a wasn't tart. She wasn't retart at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was the lamest joke you've had. You have had to date. You're welcome. <laughs> Even though labs promised a quick turnaround on the DNA test, they weren't as quick as most people had hoped. Then on July 5th, 1996, the Daily Record printed an article stating Scotland's top law officer confessed DNA test failed to link John M. to semen scenes found on Helen's clothing or prove he made a bite mark on her wrist. The Daily Mail published a follow-up statement the next day from Jean. In her article, they referred to Jean when they printed, she always knew John M. was not Helen's killer and she repeatedly told the police they suspected the wrong man. Then the New York Daily News even jumped on the Bible John, John M. train. Prior to the test being complete, they printed several articles that, quote, flatly concluded John M. was Bible John, then had to print retractions such as, quote, DNA evidence showed he was innocent. The government apologized to the man's family. But you know what? You know what? Even with the apology, though, everybody else, they're going to look at, hey, you know that that John M., your relative was a fucking killer. Yeah, well, and the sad part is, though, when they splash that shit across the headline saying so-and-so did such-and-such, they print the retractions on page 10 at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. You know, they they don't put as much effort into proving, to to actually saying, hey, we're sorry, we fucked up. We fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, It's just fucking ridiculous. I think that what we need in this world, seriously, is more fucking accountability. Right. God. Especially holding that damn media accountable. I fucking so hate. I told you in my case, they said I was a skinhead. You are. You're the leader of the KKK. Organ chapter. I don't live in Vernonia. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That's pretty goddamn white. Vernonia used to have a sign out, you know, on 47. I heard about that. Didn't yeah. they say, uh, don't let the sun sit on you, Negro? No, Something well, it that? used to say the uh, first, first city in Oregon with an established KKK chapter. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <coughs> sometime. Okay, then the issue of John M. and Bible John was once again buried, and the case went cold for an additional eight years. Now, sometime in December 2004, the manhunt for the unknown Bible John once again dominated the headlines. That's when the Sunday Mail printed an article stating, quote, DNA taken from... A person connected to a recent Glasgow crime scene was an 80% match for those found on Helen's clothing. Now, since they didn't want to spark another media circus, law enforcement, um, for that reason, they have chosen not to release the name of the most recent DNA source. However, it does seem that law enforcement officials are focusing the bulk of their investigation on an older male relative of the individual in 2004. Um, The New York Daily News printed a report in May of 2005 that claimed Glasgow Police Force was actively in the process of gathering DNA samples from the male members of that family, and a spokesman for the department stated with great confidence that quote science will solve these killings we have no doubt of that um (coughs) sorry considering the fact time has marched on with no conclusion to the bible john case it shouldn't come as a surprise that the case has lost its notoriety especially since other crimes, some of which are more horrific than the murders of Patricia, Jemima, and Helen, have occurred. Stop it. 
I didn't even say anything. No, but you're giggling. <laughs> even so, if the newer DNA tests prove beneficial, it will bring a sense of closure to the women's friends and family to know their loved one's murder has been solved. What won't go away so easily is the fact that Bible John's legacy will continue to live on, possibly until the end of time. Over the years, since Patricia, Jemima, and Helen were murdered, the story of Bible John has worked its way into society folklore. His name has become synonymous with the boogeyman over there. Tales of woe that parents regaled their children with in order to get them to behave. Um, Why not just use Nessie? Say, well, look, you little remember- shit. If you don't behave, I'll march you down to the look and Nessie will get you. I think I have that on the side of my nose. Anyways, remember back in or our tumor. day... Huh? Or a tumor. It is not a tumor. It's a tumor. Um, back in RJ, remember, to keep us from going to Lover's Lane, they talked about the guy with the hook. Uh-huh. You remember that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, in 1999, Ian Rankin bases his detective novel, Black and Blue, on the story of Bible John. And Shane McGowan, a popular singer-songwriter, have you heard of him? No. Oh, he's over there said that he is planning to release a song inspired by the murderer to be included on his new album. Mm. Now, since I know you're all wanting to know what happened to the Barland Ballroom in light of the events in the late 60s, right? You've been asking that. Yeah, okay, let's go with that. Shut up. I'm over here just masturbating. I know you are. Thinking about Jemima. <laughs> and not Joe Mama. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that was horrible. That's like the worst. That's the worst dad joke ever. That was worse than your dad joke. That was. I think I you, did. You I got it. Okay, it's cool. bugging me. Anyways, um, it seems that as if the establishment is the only survivor of Bible John's murder spree. Despite the bad publicity it, gathered, it garnered with its association with the killings, it is alive and kicking today. According to its website, it still boasts to be, quote, the best rock venue in Scotland. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so it no worse for the wear. No worse for the wear. Probably like the Cecil Hotel. I wonder if it has a dress code. You have to come in wearing your kilt and no underwears. Yes. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night and God bless. <laughs> okay. No, that's all I have for Bible John. All right. Well, I will say this. People think that it the guy's the suspect's name is Peter Tobin. But, like I said, Bible that Peter? has not been confirmed. Play with you, Peter? What? But that makes no sense. Why would he say his name was John if his name was Peter? Why wouldn't he? Think about it, man. Oh, you yeah. want to stay on the down low? You want to keep on fucking leaving killing. semen stains and killing people? Hunting down people with fucking names like Jemima? Good night, Scott. <laughs> I love that look of disgust. It brings me such joy and happiness. All right. I'm nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Remember, you can send us an email. And I'm probably I'm probably going to get some hate mail over this one, too. Oh, boy. No, you're going to get some hate mail over tomorrow's. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Because tomorrow uh, I'm going to have Dieter introduce it. Oh, great. <laughs> Dieter is very controversial. A little bit, yeah. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Click on that Amazon link. It helps the show and doesn't cost you a penny extra. Look for our blogs. Wherever you get your blogs at, we prefer Medium and Crime Beat that's on Medium. I use them, and so does Tammy, quite a bit. 
This show's copyrighted 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. And we will see you guys and talk to you later. Bye. Bye, everybody.